Uh, welcome to today's uh, SDR Distinctiveness session. Uh, my name is Matka Moen. On behalf of the SDR division and our entire team, I welcome you to the session and appreciate your interest and enthusiasm in continuing to join us across these uh, programs. Uh, the focus of today's session is uh, a series that we're labeling SDR Distinctiveness Dialogues. Uh, today, we're going to have a spotlight on entrepreneurship. Uh, but as you might have noticed uh, over the past month, and you will see the continuation of this over the next two months, this is part of a broader series that SDR team under the leadership of Mike Leibline has started to really unpack some of the distinctive assumptions and understanding of different phenomena across complementary fields that overlap with strategic management. The idea here is really to bring together scholars in complementary fields and try to build interdisciplinary bridges so that we can all have a more complete understanding of the phenomenon that each of us are trying to separately understand. Uh, here, when we look at the uh, divisions across Academy of Management, we're all often members of multiple divisions at a time. So here that shows and uh, really signifies how strong the ties across these uh, divisions and complementary fields are. So for entrepreneurship, we're especially positioned in an area where entrepreneurship has even a broader tent to it. Uh, the overarching ideas that it has spans not just within strategy and its complementary fields, but even when we go outside of Academy of Management, our colleagues in finance, our colleagues in engineering, very often across units in each of our universities and campuses are focused on entrepreneurship and increasing that entrepreneurial dynamism, really pointing to how important it is. Although in our today's session, we're just gonna have a spotlight at this intersection between entrepreneurship and strategic management. I wanted to highlight these broader uh, implications as well. So for this particular session, we're honored to be joined by five distinguished scholars who have uh, studied entrepreneurship from different angles and are also bringing different disciplinary perspectives within management, whether it be economics, sociology, more entrepreneurship strategy sides of things. Uh, we're very, very pleased to be joined by Professor Ben Hallen from University of Washington, Professor Peter Klein from Baylor University, Professor Amanda Sharkey from Arizona State University, Professor Dean Shepard from Notre Dame University, and Professor Scott Stern from MIT. Each of them have spent years and years and years with their time, attention, and dedication studying these topics. So without further ado, I'll uh, pass the virtual screen to Ben so that uh, we hear his perspective. The structure of the session is going to be to hear from each of our panelists with their opening remarks. Then we'll ask for their uh, reflections for each of their own uh, ideas, and then we'll come back and open the discussion. In the meanwhile, please feel free to enter your questions, your thoughts in the chat so that we can revisit them later. Uh, ben? 
Great. Well, thank you so much to Maka, uh, to Mike, to Tomas, to, to everyone who's organizing this. Uh, this is a great opportunity. I'm looking forward to learning a lot. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen here. Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about my my sort of experiences at the intersection of uh, strategy and entrepreneurship. Um, you know, my own experiences, I in my view is they are highly complimentary. Um, I'll offer the lens there. I'm looking forward to hearing what the other panelists say as well. I'm really excited about this dialogue. And so thank you again for organizing this. And thank you to everyone for making the time today. Um, so some quick notes on me, and this hopefully helps explain a little bit about the perspective I, I have taken in my career. Uh, did my PhD, Stanford uh, Management Science and Engineering, was really fortunate to work with Kathy Eisenhart uh, and continue to work with her. Um, also on my committee was Rita Cotilla, uh, and we've since co-authored and learned a lot from her. And so that sort of gives you a little bit of a background on my sort of intellectual heritage. A former entrepreneur and engineer, um, doubly computer science, entrepreneur in the email newsletter space uh, for a couple of years. Mixed methods researchers, so do a combination of quantitative and qualitative work. Academic appointments, uh, Maryland, LBS, and now Washington. And the reason I wanted to bring that up is just also be straightforward about, you know, I've been in departments that are, you know, either broad management departments like at Maryland here in Washington, or explicitly strategy and entrepreneurship groups uh, like at LBS. Um, my academy participation has mostly been in the STR division, so former representative at large there, and current AE at SJ. Um, you know, as thinking about this question, I I went to my research statement, um, and you know that I you know the last one I had updated and said, okay, how how do I sort of view myself? Um, and I've generally framed my research as exploring how can entrepreneurs accelerate the growth of new organizations by mobilizing resources, building the right networks, and learning from others. Um, and then have been very explicit that I draw from contribute to strategy and organizational theories of social networks, resource mobilization, learning and scaling, while offering also offering actionable guidance to entrepreneurs and their supporters. Um, and so this is really sort of bringing together the two sides of my background of, you know, having that entrepreneurial experience, feeling, hey, this is really, really hard to build these companies. And then being trained in the strategic management tradition of saying, wow, these theories have a lot of power to address these questions. And at the same time, also lie at the edge of where, you know, the theories sometimes need some extension, some adaptation. Sometimes we need new theory to explain the questions that are core to entrepreneurship. But I think they can very much be approached from a strategy lens oftentimes. Um, you know, as background, where I've tended to focus in terms of academic conversations is really sort of the classic strategic management journal. So AMJ, Annals, ASQ, Org Science, SMJ. So how do I see these fields? You know, my take is that, and in my own career, is that there's substantial overlap between strategy and entrepreneurship, um, you know, in the journals and the questions we are interested in. Um, and you can really participate in this in a, a variety of different ways. You know, some key similarities, the normative emphasis, the focus on value creation and capture, the interest in nascent markets, dynamic markets, innovation, um, and many of the theoretical logics. Where do we see some differences? And, and as I started to make this list, I kept thinking, well, here's a caveat to that. So big caveat, sort of. Time frame, you know, uh, you know, classic theories of strategy and empirical studies. Oftentimes you're looking at sort of ROA or something similar pretty soon out. Entrepreneurship, we're often interested in value creation and capture over a much longer time horizon. But we may study, say, resource mobilization that has a shorter time horizon. Um, 
Availability of data. Uh, I mean, data is always a challenge in everything empirical, but, you know, especially in entrepreneurship, you know, just challenge. There's so many unobservables, especially around quality um, sampling challenges as well. You know, and, and a lot of people here have done some great work and sort of think pushing the field forward there. Um, organizational complexity, the organizations being built, you know, is it environmental complexity versus organizational complexity that are the major changes? And then oftentimes the relative resources and power of the firm or the executives leading them. Um, but even if there is overlap, I think there's there's still this framing decision that's often faced. And, and I think this is something I've thought, you know, something I certainly sort of thought about early in my career. And I look forward to sort of hearing others' thoughts on this. And is the field changing here? So the approach I certainly took early in my career was really framing around the theory contributions specifically to what I might consider sort of broader strategy and organizational theories. So let me give a couple of examples there. So, you know, one paper out of my dissertation, um, we framed it as what are the origins of new organizations and networks? We knew a lot about the importance of organizational networks. We knew that organizational networks tended to have this path dependent effect. But the question is, where do these networks come from in the first place? Um, and so it's very much framed in that network literature. The context is which startups raise from which VCs. So, you know, very, you know, applied question of interest to a lot of entrepreneurs in terms of, you know, how do you get great VCs? What are the different paths, paths to doing that? Um, follow on piece, uh, qualitative uh, with Kathy Eisenhart, you know, was framed around well, what drives efficient organizational network type formation grounded in theories of organizational networks, signaling, social psychology. Context is how do startups quickly and successfully raise venture capital? And so really foregrounded the gap in some of these, you know, broader strategy and organizational theories, especially around networks, but very, you know, I, I hope important question for entrepreneurs at the same time. Um, another example with Rita Cotillo and Jeff Rosenberger, you know, was looking at how do organizational networks protect firms from misappropriation? So bringing together this focus on organizational networks and this classic strategy question of misappropriation. But the context was VCs, you know, influencing startups raising from corporate venture capital or not. Um, you know, addressing different theories, but similar approach was a paper with Emily Pankey. Uh, well, how do, you know, new can, how well can a new entrants accurately evaluate the reputations of established firms? So really grounded in the firm reputation literature and saying, oh, if audiences are new entrants, does that create some challenges for understanding some of this information that's out there? And again, that was also looking at entrepreneurs evaluating VC's track records. More recently, as I've developed this research stream around accelerators, uh, the approach I've increasingly taken with my co-authors is to really frame around practice and what's happening in the context and then connecting to theory. So it's been more of an abductive approach or inductive based, based on the paper. Um, so a paper joint with Susan Cohen and Chris Bingham, we lead off, you know, Hey, accelerators, we're seeing a lot of interest in accelerators, a lot of activity there. Um, which accelerator designs are associated with better startup learning and performance? And we sort of lead off with this, you know, accelerators seem to be rising. And then very quickly say, oh, it looks like they're helping address some core challenges around bounded rationality that entrepreneurs face. What are the designs that help them do this? Um, sister paper there with the same co-authors, do accelerators work? If so, how? So lead off around accelerators. But very quickly then say, oh, you know, if they do work, could be due to learning, signaling, or sorting. So drawing those theoretical connections, just sort of these broader theories, you know, uh, in strategy and entrepreneurship. Uh, and then a recent paper looking at accelerators as, you know, are they a path to higher status VCs? 
And that's really connecting, you know, accelerators, but then grounding pretty quickly in the status network signaling and sorting literature. So some reflections on sort of this broad intersection. One, um, you know, I think entrepreneurship is a rich context for extending core strategy and organizational theories. Um, and at the same time, strategy and organizational theories are powerful for understanding and guiding entrepreneurs. Um, and so I, I really see a lot of intersection and complementarity between, you know, the views. Um, the challenges, you know, uh, and I'm looking forward to hearing what others talk about this. I think there is, you know, there's always been specialization and clustering of researchers, but, you know, as the field continues to grow, this creates just further challenges and just staying up to date of what's happening in different journals at different conferences than maybe we're going to when we have very similar questions. Um, and as Maka brought up earlier, you know, and then you also have questions about even related disciplines about, hey, what's happening in finance conversations around some of the same topics, for instance, or, or engineering. Um, what may be core entrepreneurship is sometimes an edge case in less dynamic context, um, you know, and, and that sometimes surfaces with, with reviewers and just, you know, who's interested in these questions. Um, entrepreneurial practice often exhibits theoretical pluralism. You know, you have multiple theoretical mechanisms at work, and I think this can create a challenge if we lead off around the theory. Um, you know, the nature of the entrepreneurial context, you know, creates a host of identification challenges. Um, you know, I, I think this plays out in a lot of strategy, but, you know, you know, just something to continue to wrestle with, you know, many observables, limited temporal data, sampling challenges, long-term time lags. Um, and at the same time, theoretical framings can limit the clarity of insight for practice. And I would also add to that to other disciplines as well, um, that if we're very focused around sort of how do we contribute to our theories, some of the connections in terms of what do we know about the context may, may not be as apparent there. Um, some hopes, um, you know, I've been excited to see in the journals, you know, an increased interest in abductive or quantitative inductive research designs. So leading with the phenomenon and then considering how this supports, extends, or is counter to extant theories that we've been developing, uh, you know, in, oftentimes with other sorts of firms. Um, I think machine learning approaches allow this to be done in an empirically honest manner. Um, you know, it's been really exciting to watch sort of what Susan Athey and others are doing in that space. Um, and then I think there's also an increased opportunity for more translation of practice. You know, I think about what my co prior co-founders are doing, uh, some of them who are now professors of practice in entrepreneurship and making sure that these insights we're gathering are, you know, actual and can be translated into practice. So, you know, how can we help entrepreneurs do better? Um, so that's my thoughts. It's one perspective. I look forward to hearing what the other panelists offer. And if you have questions, please put them in the chat. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Ben. This was a great start uh, to our discussion. Uh, Peter, uh, please. Okay, well, thanks everybody. Um, you know, being an extremely modest and self-effacing guy and also being slightly underprepared, I did not have a background slide the way Ben did, but, you know, one of the great things about entrepreneurs is their ability to adapt rapidly to unexpected changes in circumstances, i.e. to pivot. So while Ben was talking, I made up a little bio slide just so I wouldn't feel left out. Oh, sorry. And also just to sort of draw out... Um, uh, the idea expressed by Maka about the interdisciplinary nature of both strategy and entrepreneurship uh, research. So my background is in economics, also from the Bay Area like Ben, but from the other school uh, in that region. And I was trained by uh, organizational and uh, organizational economists and innovation specialists. Um, one of the interesting things about me is I have served in a number of different 
academic departments, including economics, agricultural and resource economics, strategy, and entrepreneurship. So I feel like I have a good sense of the cultural differences uh, among different approaches to studying what are often very similar or complementary phenomena. And I guess broadly, I'm interested in a lot of things at the intersection of entrepreneurship, uh, organization, and strategy. Another one of my characteristics is uh, theoretical and methodological eclecticism, drawing on a lot of different bodies of thought across different fields, um, uh, and also using a variety of different kinds of methods. I've written very different styles of papers over my career, but that's part of uh, the fun of being in academia, I suppose. Um, more recently, I've been working a lot on the nature of what my co-authors and I call entrepreneurial judgment, and also how entrepreneurship is related to things like ownership, uh, how uh, both new and existing organizations learn, and how entrepreneurs attempt to communicate with important stakeholders, including venture funders. So I, I would say I'm pretty opportunistic, and maybe towards the end of the session, we'll get into some more kind of, you know, tactical career advice. But I think being, you know, sort of aware of opportunities in the environment within which within which one can make a contribution, even if it's different from sort of uh, the strategic plan that you had for your career, is an important part of being successful in our field. One other thing about me uh, that made me very excited about this session is that I am one of the co-editors of the Strategic Entrepreneurship Journal, which as you probably know, is one of three journals uh, published by the Strategic Management Society. SEJ is now 15 years old, so it's getting more mature as an entrepreneurship journal. In the early years uh, of publication, there was some confusion uh, in the market about exactly what the journal was and what kind of research it was looking for. So, uh, you know, SEJ used to get a lot of papers that I would describe as obvious SMJ rejects, you know, strategy papers that did not make it at SMJ, which is the more established and, you know, more prestigious journal in, uh, in, in, in this set. And then authors would think, oh, well, I'll just send it to the next SMS, SMS journal, which is pretty much the same thing, but with a slightly lower impact factor. Uh, that's not at all what SCJ was designed to be, and you know we've um, made made a, a, a an effort to market the journal uh, a little bit more precisely in recent years as a general interest entrepreneurship journal, uh, looking for top tier research in all areas of entrepreneurship. However, we still have the sort of uh, legacy challenge of the name Strategic Entrepreneurship Journal. I get a lot of queries from potential submitters, you know, well, what exactly is strategic entrepreneurship? Is my paper strategic entrepreneurship or is it entrepreneurship or is it strategy? And so I've been thinking a lot about how these different bodies of thought uh, integrate. Maybe what, I, what I'd like to do here is, you know, help you sort of think about some ways to understand the distinctions between strategy and entrepreneurship. So there are different ways to understand what is an academic field of study. And there's what you might call a substantive or intellectual definition of an academic field where the boundaries are determined by things like the, the, the re core research questions or explananda, you know, the things to be explained, the phenomena to be explained uh, in that field, the core constructs that are acceptable in the field, its disciplinary foundations, what sort of research methods or modes of discourse are acceptable. Right, so if you do a you know a quick and dirty side by side comparison, we might uh, you know describe the core 
phenomenon or construct of strategy to be, you know, differences across firms in performance. And performance can be measured in a lot of different ways. And of course, there's a lot more subtlety and nuance and a whole set of allied research questions that revolve around this core one. But I think most people would agree that the de you know, the, the, the field of strategic analysis or strategic, strategic management aims at understanding why some organizations perform better than others. What are the key explananda for entrepreneurship? Well, here it's a little bit more diverse, right? So you have um, you know, a lot of research that's at the firm level or maybe even the industry level. You know, where do new organizations come from? How do organizations grow? And again, why do some organizations, some new organizations perform better or grow faster than others? But there's also a lot of literature at the individual level. Why do some people choose to become entrepreneurs, meaning self-employed? Uh, business owners as opposed to employees. There's also, you know, psychological literature on uh, tra traits, personality characteristics, and other attributes of individuals. Uh, what is entrepreneurial thinking or what is an entrepreneurial mindset? So there's a little bit more variety, I think, uh, in the first row for the entrepreneurship field than the strategy field. But then each field has a set of core constructs for strategy. It might be sustained competitive advantage, ways that we characterize competition and market structure, uh, ways that we understand resources and capabilities, and maybe some you know, frameworks like VPC. I guess that's more of a framework than a construct, but you get the point. Um, entrepreneurship also has a set of core constructs, like entrepreneurial opportunities, which may be discovered or created, as they say, uh, different ways to understand uncertainty and judgment, concepts of creativity, innovativeness, and the reason I put the little, uh, you know, fighting guys in this box is because I think it's fair to say there is less consensus in the entrepreneurship field about the merits of these different core constructs uh, than you find in strategy. There's not many people in strategy saying, well, the whole concept of sustained competitive advantage is nonsense. We shouldn't be using that term at all. Um, whereas in entrepreneurship, you still have these lively debates about what is an opportunity and should we even you know, talk about opportunities? Should we have some other unit of analysis? Which again, makes it fun, but also makes it a challenge, especially for newer scholars. I think the disciplinary foundations of the two fields are largely similar, though maybe there's a little bit more psychology in the entrepreneurship space because of the individual level of analysis. And again, I think the kinds of research methods, the language that people use in writing papers, really not too different. Although again, there's probably a little bit more psychometrics in entrepreneurship because uh, some of that literature looks at individuals. But, but, but here's sort of a key point. Um, there, there is another way to think about an entrepreneurship, sorry, to think about an academic field or discipline, what you might call a sociological or institutional definition of a field. In other words, an academic field is defined by a group of people who identify as being in that field. I think the more you know, technical term for this is a community of practice. So if there are a group of scholars who say, yes, I am a strategy scholar and I hang out with other, other strategy scholars, that makes strategy a field. Same thing for entrepreneurship. Well, by this definition, you clearly have you know, partially overlapping strategy fields and entrepreneurship fields. Right with different organizations, different conferences, uh, different you know sort of uh, funding mechanisms, uh, different academic departments, 
you know, academic positions. I'm in a department now that is called the Department of Entrepreneurship and Corporate Innovation. It's a standalone entrepreneurship department, but there are a lot of entrepreneurship scholars who are in a management department or maybe a strategy and entrepreneurship department, but still identify primarily as entrepreneurship scholars, whereas others might identify primarily as strategy scholars and some job listings might be tagged as one or the other. And of course, there are a lot of journals that would describe themselves as strategy journals or as entrepreneurship journals. And of course, general interest journals uh, welcome publications and research projects, both by self-identified strategy and entrepreneurship scholars. You know, another marker of an academic field in this sense is it's celebrity practitioners, right? So in strategy, you have your Porters and Barneys and Hendersons and Leventhal's and Liblines, of course, and Mahines and various other luminaries who are on this panel. Um, I guess entrepreneurship has its luminaries too. I mean, uh, you know, there's Dean Shepard, of course, who I think sort of stands by himself as uh, a very prominent entrepreneurship scholar. I was trying to think who else to put on the slide who's also associated with entrepreneurship and is extremely well known. Really, all I could think of was Elon. And maybe this is what Elon thinks of the strategy field, or at least what he thinks of Dean's research. Okay, so a few takeaways, and then I'll stop. Um, I titled my presentation, What Gains from Trade? partly because I wrote a paper in the past that also used the term gains from trade in the title. Um, you know, how, how do strategy scholars benefit from entrepreneurship research? How do entrepreneurship researchers benefit from strategy research? How do researchers who don't identify with either field uh, be benefit from cross-pollinization of ideas uh, and uh, uh, concepts? Well, I mean, one, one thing you could do is you could say, well, let's take a set of sort of conventional mainstream core strategy questions and say, you know, how do concepts and theories and models and research findings from entrepreneurship inform those conventional strategy questions? Like if I'm interested in capabilities, you know, how do firms create new capabilities? How do, you know, do the capabilities of de novo firms differ from the capabilities of mature firms? And so there's a lot of stuff in entrepreneurship on new venture formation and growth and experimentation and so forth that might inform a question like that. Um, one might be looking at, you know, conventional strategy questions about competitive advantage at the firm level and say, OK, what if we now add, you know, radical uncertainty or we add a kind of dynamism in a way that is maybe, you know, was not prominent in the sort of, you know, mainstream treatment of this competition question or this competitive advantage question? Well, now how does that change the analysis? How do we change a positioning model or a VRIN analysis? adding, you know, night in uncertainty, again, which is very prominent in the entrepreneurship field. And maybe we would look at things like, you know, uh, how, how existing firms spawn new companies and why do some individuals choose to quit existing firms to start their own building in some of the individual level occupational choice from entrepreneurship to inform an important strategy question. And of course, you could do it the other way. You could say, well, what are some conventional entrepreneurship questions and then ask how do theories and constructs and models from strategy help us to understand them better? How should new ventures be organized and governed? What kind of strategies should founders have uh, to, to make their ventures successful? How do founders enroll key stakeholders and so forth? And you know, maybe there's a set of questions that are not really entrepreneurship or strategy, but you know, maybe described as hybrid questions that combine uh, both aspects. So just a few words of wisdom before I quit as an old person. Um, you know, I, I always urge my students, you know, I, I think participating in the conversation like we're having now is, is awesome and incredibly valuable. 
But when you're writing a dissertation, when you're submitting papers to journals, you don't have to worry about these debates and arguments and so forth. You know, what is the research question you want to answer? Is that a strategy question or an entrepreneurship question or a hybrid question? Nobody really cares. Right now, there might be a way that you write the intro, you know, to try to attract the sort of reviewers that you want who might be more disciplinary, uh, you know, might identify more of the specific discipline. But, you know, we're trying to explain phenomena and mechanisms. The labels are sec of secondary importance. A corollary of that is you should probably avoid sectarian debates about which field is more important or what is a field. And I say this as someone who has written quite of a lot of participated in quite a lot of these sectarian debates, and they're fun, uh, but I would not advise you doing them, uh, especially in the pre-tenure years. I think people are getting sort of tired of these arguments about what's what. Um, I always urge junior scholars to read widely, in other words, to read beyond your sort of core field. If you think you mainly do strategy, read in entrepreneurship and finance and history and, you know, all, uh, technology and all kinds of other fields as well, you know, with purpose, not just sort of, not, not without any sort of structure, but don't be afraid to stick only to the journals in your narrow disciplinary orientation. And, you know, I think probably a general lesson from this whole conversation is that we would all probably agree that the core contributions to knowledge, the most important, you know, paradigm shifting contributions typically come at the margin between disciplines rather than within traditionally defined disciplines. You have to master one or more disciplines before you can do this. But if you think increasingly in an interdisciplinary uh, manner, uh, I think you're more likely to produce research that generates real novel insight. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh... Peter, and I appreciate you raising this idea that much of the novelty arises at this interdisciplinary intersection, which is really consistent with the idea of this session. Uh, Amanda, appreciate this. Okay, so first I just wanted to say thanks to Maka for the opportunity to offer my perspective and to engage with the other panelists um, on this session. I've already um, enjoyed what we've heard from Ben and from Peter so far. Um, so when I received this invitation, I, I was really intrigued and, and said yes to it, mainly because I hadn't really given a lot of thought to this kind of field level question of what are the distinctive um, aspects of STR and entrepreneurship research and what are the commonalities. And so this is kind of a nice chance for me to reflect on that question. So I, I thought I would start by giving you, um, as the others have, just... Um, a little bit of a background on my own um, career trajectory and where it's kind of intersected with the fields of strategy and entrepreneurship. Um, so my doctoral training was at Stanford, um, another West Coast person on this panel um, in sociology. And much of my research is focused around the role of information intermediaries and kind of how they affect organizational outcomes, um, mainly through social evaluation processes. Um, and so I would say I'm first and foremost kind of an OMT person, like many of us kind of have different allegiances here, um, who does work that has strong implications for strategy and also some work in the entrepreneurship space. So I may be sort of the, the most peripheral on, on this panel, but hopefully that perspective um, is valuable, having a little bit of a little bit of distance from this. So I um, started my career at the University of Chicago. 
where I was an assistant and then associate professor of strategy and organizations in a department that was called the Organizations and Markets Group. And at U of C, I taught a class that was called Strategy and Structure. Um, and after I taught it one time through, I kind of took uh, the famous sort of advice from Michael Porter, which was to do something different. And I revamped the course to like strongly differentiate it from my economist colleagues who were teaching competitive strategy. And I shifted it to be more of a strategy um, execution class, something about the role of the organization um, in, in uh, executing on strategy as much as possible. Um, during my time at Chicago, I, I published in management strategy, sociology journals, so pretty eclectic. Um, I published a couple entrepreneurship papers during this time, and both of those take a pretty uh, distinctive sociological approach. Uh, so one of those papers published in American Sociological Review looks at um, kind of how individuals who are strongly suited for a particular firm, so who have strong um, firm-specific skills, are um, likely to enter entrepreneurship and to transition to uh, another firm. Um, paradoxically, because they kind of get stuck in those firms that they're at and have fewer external opportunities in non-entrepreneurship um, uh, spaces. Uh, and so that one, I think, is really core uh, or, or sits really right at the intersection of strategy and entrepreneurship, because we were thinking about existing firms and how they lead uh, people potentially, those conditions in existing firms lead people to found um, new ventures. Uh, the, the other entrepreneurship paper that I published during that time was kind of more core, I would say, in the entrepreneurship space. So this one is with Sarah Tabo um, and looked at gender differences in the likelihood of entrepreneurs um, accessing financing and tried to explain kind of some of the disparity in those, those differences. Um, and I just mentioned those because both of them, I think is it's interesting that both of those were published in sociology journals, American Sociological Review and Sociological Science. And I think that that really says something about how broad the interest in entrepreneurship is um, very generally. Uh, this past summer, I moved to Arizona State and uh, now I am officially working in a management and entrepreneurship um, department though I'm still teaching a course that is uh, has strategy in its title. And so I just share this, um, not to claim that my career is typical or representative necessarily in any way, but I think you see sort of this blurriness of boundaries um, in terms of strategy and entrepreneurship. And I'm going to come back to that at the end of, of what I'd like to say here. So with that kind of as an understanding of where, where I'm coming from, I thought I would kind of, um, since this is aimed a little bit more towards junior scholars, I thought I would start by saying kind of what I think about what are the key questions that these two um, fields try to tackle. Um, and I think I'm going to offer a couple definitions. I don't think will be at all controversial here. So when I think of strategy, I think of kind of the core Michael Porter, Richard Rumel kind of questions. What explains the difference in firm performance? How can firms um, effectively create and capture value? I think about the question of sustainable competitive advantage. How can that be built? Um, and then when I think about entrepreneurship, um, kind of on the other side of things, I'm thinking mostly about kind of opportunity recognition and taking that recognized opportunity, um, exploiting that opportunity by starting a business, 
What's the likelihood of that business succeeding? And then maybe more broadly, kind of what are the impacts of uh, individuals engaging in entrepreneurship? Um, and so at a very, very basic level, I guess I would say I think about entrepreneurship as being about performance in established or incumbent firms and entrepreneurship being about very young firms or even the process of kind of just translating an idea into, um, into a business. So what do I see as kind of the points of connection between these incumbent firms and, and startups? And I, as you hear me talking about this, this is kind of, I'm taking maybe more of a practice perspective, but I think this matches well with kind of the research that we do. Um, so I think these two areas are very intertwined. Um, so if we think about it at the firm level, for sure, the founding of new businesses can affect um, essentially the profitability of existing firms and vice versa, the profitability of incumbent firms um, is kind of a cognitive uh, barrier, I would say, um, to affecting that affects entrepreneurs' decisions to enter um, a particular space. And so I think there's quite a back and forth between those two things. Um, I think also technology transfer is an area at the firm level where there's a very strong point of um, connection. So we think of startups as maybe a source of innovation for incumbents. Um, and, you know, maybe getting acquired is an optimal outcome for some, some startups. Um, I think at the individual level, there's also a lot of connections and flow back and forth between incumbent firms and um, startups. And this is maybe where, sort of where my interest lies a little bit more. Um, so I think we see for example, how employees' experiences in incumbent firms can provide them with the motivation or the resources that lead to entrepreneurship. Um, there was a nice or an interesting um, recent paper by um, Yang, Kaspersek, and Naldi uh, in Org Science that was looking at the, um, the 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 motherhood penalty, the gender weight, the wage gap between mothers and non-mothers, and looking at how um, individuals and firms with a large motherhood penalty are more likely to, um, to go into entrepreneurship. So recent org science that I think illustrates this really nicely. Um, I think also at the individual level, another point of connection is basically the idea that most new firms end up failing. And so employees who start new businesses often end up returning to work in these conventional firms and that they bring those skills and experiences um, back to those, those firms. And so there's that, that connection as well. Um, I think there's a couple interesting papers I wanted to highlight in that space that are recent. So the um, recent paper by Tristan Botello and Melody Chang in Org Science last year, looking at kind of the likelihood of being um, hired based on having that prior um, founding experience um, Olenka Kaspersek and, and Peter Yunkin um, have a 2021 paper that looks at kind of a similar question. And I think both of those to me are very interesting um, areas of research and points of connection that we're seeing more and more work that kind of looks at the interplay between um, startups and incumbent firms in terms of uh, movement, mo both mobility between those firms and kind of general career outcomes as a result of having those different um, experiences. Uh, so lots of points of connection. Uh, I wanted to say a little bit about a few areas where I do see um, distinctions. So I think maybe the biggest one that I see is 
the distinct perspectives that strategy or that incumbent firms and startups would have on environmental change. So I think typically incumbent firms would think about environmental change as a challenge, um, needing to overcome inertia to be able to deal with whatever changes are happening in the environment. Whereas I think from an entrepreneurial perspective, change is viewed as more of kind of an opportunity, a chance to start a new business, um, the, the sort of a greenfield um, um, or blue ocean kind of situation. In terms of perspective on innovation, I think that we also see some differences there where incumbent firms would be focused more on maybe more incremental innovations as they're focused on um, sustainable competitive advantage, uh, building or, or getting the, the competitive advantages that they have to, um, to maintain those. Uh, in terms of startups, I think we, we generally think about kind of focusing on new opportunities. And so maybe, maybe bigger picture or more impactful high growth types of innovation. Um, I think also I would say in terms of differences in the scope of interest in terms of research in these two spaces, and maybe this is, I'm not sure how others will feel about this. I'm, I'm curious uh, to hear people's take on this, but I would say strategy, I would say it in some sense is a little bit narrower in that I would say it's more firm focused. Whereas I feel like the entrepreneurship space, there is a bit more, I think that's being done looking at kind of um, individual level career outcomes and, and maybe broader societal level impacts. So I think of maybe the Quan and Sorensen paper um, in entrepreneurship theory and practice um, 2021, looking at kind of the, the societal level income inequality that results when there's more or less um, entrepreneurship in a given um, region, I think is sort of an interesting paper in that particular space. So I wanted to wrap up kind of, I've given you sort of some commonalities and some distinct aspects of these two fields. And I wanted to come back to the question that sort of um, this, this session was organized around. So this idea of distinctiveness and particularly from the STR perspective. Um, and to sort of think about this question a little bit in terms of is research in STR too disconnected from research in ENT or is it not distinctive enough? And I guess from my perspective, um, I don't think there's a problem here. I think there's um, quite a bit of connectivity between these two. Um, I think I, from a, a standing back um, as a scholar, I worry more when there are kind of two fields that are both doing the same thing and kind of reinventing the wheel and not talking to one another. And I don't see that really as a serious issue here. Um, and as a sociologist, that that makes me ask sort of, you know, if that's the case, if these two fields are connected, well, why is that and how do they maintain that connectivity? And I think um, this goes back somewhat to what, what Peter said about kind of how um, uh, institutional processes, right? So many of us in the strategy space and entrepreneurship space have similar disciplinary training. So we have similar language to speak to one another with. And often we're co-located in the same departments. And so whether we like it or not, we're exposed to one another. Um, and I think all of these things are really sort of um, to the benefit of, of both of these, both of these areas. Uh, so I will stop there and I'm curious to hear uh, the perspectives of the rest of our panel panelists.
Okay, is it me, Marka? All right, good, thank you. Um, and it's been very interesting to hear everyone uh, speak so far. And my name's Dean Shepherd. Um, I did not get my PhD from California. I got it from Australia. Um, there are different times in my career when I've thought about this intersection. And then there are times in my career where I've totally ignored it or, or, or kept my thinking away from it. I think it first started, I did my PhD at Bond University in Australia. Um, Bond University is named after Alan Bond, a disgraced entrepreneur. So at the time I wanted to study entrepreneurship, but I wasn't allowed to use the word entrepreneur or entrepreneurship. Uh, so we used the word new venture strategy, you know? So I suppose that's my first um, understanding of the, the connection between kind of strategy and entrepreneurship. It was a way of kind of legitimating the research that I was doing uh, by calling it something slightly different. Uh, since then, I've, I've done my research. It's mainly been in the areas of, um, you know, business growth, uh, or new businesses, new ventures, and, and how they grow. Um, also looking at opportunities. How do we uh, kind of identify, uh, evaluate, and exploit uh, potential opportunities? Um, and what's kind of the entrepreneurial actions as a result of, of that exploitation? Uh, Decision-making research in terms of venture capitalist decision-making but also, also entrepreneurs' decision-making, how they decide to enter particular markets or how they evaluate opportunities. And uh, I've also been looking at the kind of the dark side of entrepreneurship where, um, you know, the common law, other than what was happening in Australia, but in America and most of the research, we think about how entrepreneurs are like supermen or superwomen who always do good things. And uh, I try to think more of entrepreneurship as a tool, a tool that can be used for good but also can be used for evil. And so I tried to look at, you know, when do entrepreneurs act and actually experience a dark side uh, to entrepreneurship, but also, you know, what are the destructive elements to entrepreneurship as well? And then I've also more recently tried to look at the intersection across all of these by looking at, at adversity um, and trying to look at, you know, when there are adverse events such as natural disasters, how do people engage in kind of entrepreneurship as a response to these adverse events to try and eliminate uh, the suffering of those people around them. And also chronic adversity. So looking at kind of extreme adverse contexts in which people are almost born into these contexts. How do they engage in entrepreneurship? Not necessarily to change kind of the rules of the game or the institution, but how do they kind of find a way uh, to have a, a reasonable or even a good life despite the fact that they, they face this kind of chronic adversity. Um, so I really kind of focused on those areas. Um, as a junior scholar, you know, I used to think about the intersection uh, in this way. Uh, first, I'd try and think about it as a job. You know, you'd apply for the jobs as um, entrepreneurship slash strategy or strategy slash entrepreneurship. And in those instances, they would ask me, well, which one are you? And I'd say, well, which one do you want? You know, so... In some ways, I kind of had the flexibility uh, to do both. Um, and that was particularly useful in terms of teaching. Uh, so I always felt comfortable either teaching strategy or teaching entrepreneurship. Um, but also as a junior scholar, and as Peter mentioned, I got a little bit frustrated when people would always keep saying, well, is that entrepreneurship or is that strategy? And then I would say, well, this is what I'm trying to study. And this is what I'm interested in explaining it. Now, whether you call it entrepreneurship or you call it strategy, I don't really care. You know, I, I'm interested in trying to explain this phenomena using this theory or developing this theory and, and, and publishing it and making a contribution um, 
to that discussion or that, that scholarly conversation. So I, I tried to not think about it too much um, other than when I became the editor of the Journal of Business Venturing and I had to think about it again because it's a journal that's dedicated to entrepreneurship. So I had to have some sort of understanding of what was entrepreneurship and what was not entrepreneurship. And I really kind of took a kind of more a pluralistic perspective to try and say, well, I allowed it, the authors to try and make the case to me and to the, and to the readers that their paper actually made a contribution to entrepreneurship. Um, I didn't want to put constraints too early on the field because I didn't want my definition to constrain it. I wanted to, to be able to grow uh, and to have life. Um, so when, we, when I move in and out of this kind of thinking about uh, the intersection, um, Mark uh, invited me to be part of this panel and it gave me a chance to kind of reflect on it uh, again. You know, I, I would say now that I'm an entrepreneurship scholar, um, but I also don't care, you know, whether you call me an entrepreneurship scholar or not. So what are the biggest differences between them? Um, you know, I just try and think about this in a very simple way. And I think Amanda touched on this as well, is that strategy or strategic management is largely focused on established organizations. And entrepreneurship is focused on new or young growing organizations. But I think, you know, we could even take a step further and say, maybe they're interested in pre-firms. Right? organizational emergence or what happens before an organization even exists. So I suppose that gives us, you know, some, some opportunities to work um, and as Ben said, complement strategy by thinking about, well, if we already know from strategic management, the importance of organizational culture, where does an organizational culture come from? If we don't have an organization. How do we develop an organization where that culture actually starts to establish or if organizational identity is important, where does that actually come from in the very first place? When we've only got one person, when we've got two people, when we've got 10 people, same with organizational knowledge, same with organizational capabilities. So we have a bit of an idea from strategy about how these things might change. We definitely have an idea of why they're important. Therefore, entrepreneurship can say, given we know those things from strategy, where do they actually come from in the very first place? It's kind of like the big bang theory of, uh, of strategic management. Um, when we talk about what are the key assumptions of the two fields, uh, this is just my perspective. So I, I know other people are, are likely to differ. Um, but for me, entrepreneurship has fewer assumptions. Um, does not have this kind of dominant dependent variable. And I, and I think Peter was talking specifically about that where strategy is often related to, well, how does it impact organizational performance or sustainable competitive advantage or profitability, something along those lines, where entrepreneurship doesn't necessarily have um, a specific dependent variable, although we do kind of unify around maybe the independent variables in terms of thinking about you know, opportunities or new venture creation, uh, all those types of things. Um, we also really, and as, as Amanda was suggesting, um, we don't necessarily have uh, a dominant level of analysis. Right? So entrepreneurship scholars often work at the firm level. Uh, they may work at the individual level uh, in order to try and create an organization that exists at the start. But, and this is not my area, but there are a lot of really great scholars like Howard Aldrich and Mike Lounsbury 
who kind of work at the institutional level and, and refer to it as institutional entrepreneurship, uh, where someone, somehow institutions get changed or institutions uh, get created. Um, I think we also have less dominant paradigms. And I think, again, Peter was talking about something similar. You know, we don't have these kind of overarching resource-based view or the, you know, the IO uh, economics perspective of strategy. We have a kind of less dominant uh, paradigms. Um, now, a lot of people will say, well, you know, that's not a good thing. Um, and for some scholars, it's not a good thing. I actually kind of enjoy it, uh, the, the fact that we kind of have this freedom. Um, so the unifier for entrepreneurship to me is something around the notion of new entry, you know, whether it's kind of the creation of opportunities or kind of new venture creation. I suppose what's particularly distinctive is um, pre-organization or pre-firm is what's distinctive, but doesn't mean that we can't have it uh, within established organizations or at other uh, levels of analysis. Um, so I think that's, you know, in some ways, uh, what are the connections? Well, if we think about um, a strategy as the, an established firm, entrepreneurship might be, well, how does it become established? And then it might be, well, how do we even become a firm, right? So, I mean, I, I can see the interface between those two uh, as the connection. Maybe entrepreneurship might get us to be an established organization, but once we're an established organization, how do we remain entrepreneurial? if that's important, or if it's not important, you know, why isn't it important? Um, but also I think, you know, the connections are still important in that, as I'm reminded here at Notre Dame, now that we've started a doctoral program, is that many of the jobs in strategy, uh, strategy slash entrepreneurship, and many of the jobs in entrepreneurship, are entrepreneurship slash strategy. Um, so as I think about creating this kind of um, scholarly identity for our, my doctoral students, I've got to think, what does that mean um, for developing their scholarly identity in terms of jobs, in terms of career, in terms of publishing, um, those types of things. So, so once again, I'm back thinking about what these uh, connections are. Um, What's the, what's the future of what can be gained, I think was one of the questions Marker asked us about taking a dominant entrepreneurship perspective and also taking a dominant strategy perspective. I think from taking a, a dominant entrepreneurship perspective towards my research, um, I feel like I've got more freedom um, and that, you know, in some ways I can kind of be more creative as a result of that freedom. I kind of have those less constraints because as I mentioned, we have kind of fewer assumptions, fewer dominance dependent variables, are those types of things. Um, so I think there are, you know, there's plenty uh, of research opportunities that exist in entrepreneurship. And I suppose that's why I spend most of my time there. But what's the advantages or what's to be gained from taking um, strategic management perspective? I think you kind of have a large established body of literature from which to work. So I think, you know, the gaps in the knowledge and being able to articulate those gaps and position your research is a lot is a lot easier, right? Um, I know people are probably going to disagree with me, but I think it's I think it's easier. You have these established assumptions, so you're not always kind of fighting people about what those assumptions are. Those assumptions can be given, and we can kind of build on those foundations more easily and more quickly uh, in order to to um, create a contribution. Um, and therefore, I you know, just think that positioning the papers uh, may be a little bit e easier. 
Um, so the topics that happen across both of these areas, um, I think, you know, obviously it's where the intersection of the, you know, the new, the pre and the new firm and the established firm exist. I think scaling and growth is an area that's an obvious intersection uh, between the two. And I think we're just starting to see a lot more research now on, on scaling. Obviously, internal corporate, corporate ventures is an aspect of, say, corporate entrepreneurship and kind of related to innovation in established organisations. I think uh, when Rita McGrath did her research on real options reasoning in 1999, it's a long time ago, uh, really kind of brought about how we can think about um, managing uncertainty uh, in established organisations through kind of a portfolio of real options. I think that's a, that's a fantastic intersection uh, between the two. I think, um, you know, we could also do more at the intersection at resourcefulness. So, I mean, how to kind of establish organisations, not so much rely on the resources they have, but on being more resourceful. And, you know, I, I finally finish off with um, some of the aspects that, you know, my, my good friend Jerry George would always talk about is uh, facing these kind of grand challenges. And I think entrepreneurship and strategy, the intersection, can look at some of the grand challenges in terms of looking at poverty, um, corruption, uh, human trafficking, uh, discrimination, stigmatization. I think I think there are lots of topics there that we can actually start to explore uh, at the intersection uh, between those two areas. So I'll finish it there. Thank you very much, Dean. Uh, Scott, I appreciate your thoughts. Are you get, can you guys see that? Great. Um, and actually, actually, give me just two seconds. First, I wanted to thank um, Maka and the whole gang here. Um, you know, there's just a really stimulating panel and one that I think, you know, kind of is very worthy conversation, um, not just um, in an academic sense, but also I think as people are thinking about their careers, and thinking about how to position themselves within a sort of community that, um, you know, kind of where I think Dean and others kind of said it, you know, very often most faculty jobs in this area and research careers, most tenure letters that I write now for that are business school facing are people who are doing both research that crosses strategy, entrepreneurship, and innovation, and there's some mix um, between them. Um, I'm going to talk about a bunch of work um, and a kind of framing that comes from a lot of collaboration with um, Aaron Scott, my colleague here um, at MIT, and Josh Gans at the University of Toronto, and a whole bunch of other um, collaborators. Um, but you know, obviously, you know, I'm responsible for any errors or you know my usual challenges. Um, okay, so I guess you know we got into sort of giving a little bit of background. Um, I am part of the West Coast. Uh, group. I did my PhD at, at Stanford under people like uh, Tim Bresnahan and Nate, Nate Rosenberg. I'm an, a, an economist, and I did my was a junior faculty member um, at MIT, um, and then I was at Kellogg in the management and strategy group. They were very economics oriented. 
the group here that I'm a part of, the ties group is much more interdisciplinary, um, but some of you know as well that I've done a lot of work along with Josh Lerner um, in building the innovation and entrepreneurship programs of the National Bureau of Economic Research for the, for the last 20 years. So, um, but let, enough about me. Um, let me, I'm gonna kind of actually talk about an example that I think grounds a whole bunch of discussions. And once again, I think this is very, you know, accretive. Um, so there's a student who walked into our classrooms about a decade ago now. Um, his name is Socrates Rosenfeld, which is a, at least a good name. And he actually was a, um, he gone to West Point. Um, he had been an army ranger. Uh, he had served in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, actually with some uh, high degree of distinction. Um, and then he came to the Sloan School. And the reason I'm choosing him is a few, but one, because he took two courses with me. He took, as Amanda would say, competitive strategy, which we teach largely from an economic perspective here at Sloan. And then he taught an, took another course with me, entrepreneurial strategy, which is really strategy for startups. And good question is, how do we have those two courses in the same, you know, the same place? There shouldn't one read on to the other. Um, Sock got an A in strategy and an A plus in entrepreneurial strategy, an extraordinary student. And when he told me on graduation that he was going to McKinsey, I said, you know, there's no new information there. That sounds, sounds great. And then he kind of walked back into my office and once again, um, and he, about two years later, and he told me that he had quit McKinsey and he was going to become an entrepreneur. And to Dean's, I think Dean will hopefully, right? And I said, well, what are you going to work on? And he told me cannabis. He said that it was like the end of prohibition. There's about 2015 or 16. And that he felt that the uh, legalization at the state level of cannabis provided a tremendous economic opportunity. And then I said, yeah, but why are you doing this? Like, what are you going to tell your parents? And he was like, when he had actually attracted like eight great, you know, small team and a co-founder plus a team of a founding team that was very, very strong. And he said, well, when I got out of the military, um, I found it very difficult to adjust to society. I was just keyed up. And I had never taken cannabis before but it allowed me to introduce myself back to society and succeed at the high level that at least I perceived him to succeed, you know what I'm saying, in our classrooms. Um, now, once of course you say, like most people haven't thought too much about that, but cannabis meets the internet, you can think of like a gajillion things to do, right? You have lots of options. You can't do everything because you can be an entrepreneur, but they're super uncertain. And there's only a limited, right? There's some amount of learning and experimentation we can do, but it's a bit of a challenge. Um, in the interest of time, let me not go through all the different strategies that he was thinking about at the time. And these are, you know, these were very different things though. One was opening his own legal dispensary. Others were really working on the supply chain from the product to the dispensaries. Um, a third was really thinking about what he would call digital storefront. Um, abductively, this is for you, Ben. Here's us doing a little bit of research <laughs> with uh, Sam Zions, great PhD student from MIT, and their sock. Um, okay. And then ultimately, that process that we worked with him on um, resulted in what was called chain technologies, which you can look up and I'll talk about a little bit later. What did I look, but why do I bring up this, this little story? 
um, in a relatively short presentation, because Jane Technologies and SOC's journey to found Jane, I think crystallizes a kind of central set of challenges at the intersection between strategy and entrepreneurship. Namely, that the very nature of pursuing opportunity is that there are many ways that you can go. That's the nature of a good opportunity is there are multiple paths forward. But the nature of the challenge that an entrepreneur faces is they see those multiple paths forward potentially, but they're high, but the fairly high degrees of uncertainty shroud which path is better than others. Particularly once you decide that it's actually something that you're going to quit your job at McKinsey to pursue or whatever your outside employment option would be. And so that really kind of crystallizes this idea that ultimately we have to make choices as entrepreneurs. And that the central challenge, therefore, of an entrepreneur is not even like exactly which choices to make, but how to choose when you face a blizzard of uncertainty. Um, one of the things we've tried to do over the last few years, uh, some of you, I think, have seen this work. Um, you know, some of this was with Jane Wu and Josh Gans, our Foundations of Entrepreneurial Strategy paper, but as well, I'll talk about some other work as well. But it's kind of trying to provide a kind of frame in which we kind of think about what are the core choices that entrepreneurs can focus on to choose among alternative paths for an idea and company. And, you know, we've done nothing like a pandemic to write a textbook. We've, well, Aaron and Josh and I have sort of kind of organized this, this entrepreneurship textbook that's coming up from Norton. But I want to use some of the lessons we have from that to kind of frame the question that Maka set up for us. So what is the distinctive challenge of strategy for startups? What's at the essence of why and the challenge facing an entrepreneur is distinct from the challenge that faces a more established enterprise? And so first, I think is a question of why. What are they trying to accomplish? What should an entrepreneur, why should an entrepreneurship choose one option versus another? Second, what are the choices they should focus on? And I think, and it, once again, that first question goes, I think, a lot to what Dean was, has done great, fantastic work on, but also spoke right here. What motivations do we bring? The second is what choices to focus on, right? I think, I think it was Amanda who sort of like really framed this question around, you know, those somewhat more incremental choices, given that a lot of the strategies are already baked in versus these kind of more existential choices you might face as a startup. And then thirdly, how to choose and how can an entrepreneur relative to an established enterprise make effective choices given the nature of the choices they're pursuing and the objectives that they're pursuing. So let me, and Maka, do I have about four minutes left? Is that about right? Okay. So the first question is what the heck are people trying to do? And, um, you know, over the last few years, I've had the opportunity to work with a journalist, Adam Davidson, um, who founded the NPR's Planet Money and is, Right, you wrote a great book called Passion Economy that helped me think about this just in a very synthetic way, um, or at least I find it to be helpful. Um, you know, obviously, similar to the field of strategy, you cannot found a business unless you're creating value for other people. And so you better have some way to create value. And as well, if we put a little bit of a strategy value capture lens, 
we better have some unfair advantage, some something we can do that, you know, at least in principle, not everyone's going to be able to jump on. But the third part is, I think, a real gap between the strategy and entrepreneurship literature is that entrepreneurs are choosing to pursue the opportunity. They have to care. And so I don't want to, right? Is, is Sock making the choice? And I'm an economist, so I'm going to maximize utility for just a second. Or is Jay making the choice? Right? The, it turns out that those that, that that whether or not you believe in the entrepreneurs pursuing their own individual goals subject to not going bankrupt versus we're maximizing profits subject to constraint actually are different there are different solutions to what choices you'd make in many circumstances you're not simply maximizing profits as a founder the second is what choices you might focus on and here, once again, I'd say that, and I think Amanda sort of, I think, and and and, um, and 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 Ben as well, I think hinted at this. Um, I think that there's just a much more existential nature to the freedom that entrepreneurs have. They face many more choices. They 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 get to obviously their customers have to choose them, but no one is assigning them the job of serving customer group X. They get to say, I'm going to prioritize this customer rather than that. Sock, for example, had to make a core choice. Is it more about medicinal or more about recreational users or both? And how do those choices fit together in a coherent strategic frame? And then the last part is the how. And here, I'm just going to make two really quick points, is that I think there's a kind of trade-off around the nature of experimentation that is involved in a, in a new enterprise, a resource-constrained enterprise, relative to a more established firm. And in particular, I would claim that we're, you know, which many of our students go and do, or at least hire people to do, is that an established enterprise can undertake a fairly detailed cost-benefit analysis of alternative strategic plans and undertake testing and experimentation that really lets them identify, don't do this, do that. Once again, that doesn't always work, but at least it's it's possible. The very nature of entrepreneurial choice is that simply surfacing multiple potential paths, very often you're going to run up limits against that learning. You're going to run up to limits against that learning that sort of imply that now it's time to choose and that you're going to be leaving meaningful, potentially even better, or at least equal paths behind. So um, I, I know I didn't resolve all of Maka's questions. I kind of focused on this. Is to me, there are three core things at this interface. One, Who's making that choice and what are they pursuing? Second, what is the domain of the choices that we will be focusing on? And thirdly, what is the process and the prompts to actually go from learning and experimentation to making choices with commitment that are at the heart 
of sustainable competitive advantage. So thanks a lot. Happy to, I'm gonna stop sharing. Thank you very much. Thank you to all of you for the thoughtful discussion. Uh, before opening up uh, to questions uh, from the audience, I would like to give a few minutes to each of you in case there is a reflection, as you heard uh, other panelists share their opening remarks. And at the same time, I know we talked a lot about some of the distinctive features perhaps across the academic fields, but if we could also spend some time about research opportunities that exist at this intersection in terms of where each of these literatures currently are, and as we are moving forward, looking forward towards uh, building these bridges, what could be areas of interest uh, for scholars? Um, so perhaps we can start with the order that the presentations went. Uh, ben, Peter, Amanda, Dean, and Scott again. Yeah, I mean, first off, just you know, thank you again to Maka, to all the panelists. Um, this is good. I'm going to be processing this a lot. And I was thinking about a lot about the reason I'm wearing a sports coat today, I'm about to go in and teach our executive MBAs. It's an entrepreneurship course. It's also our capstone. Um, and yeah, we have some aspiring entrepreneurs in the room. I'm also going to be walking in with a lot of Amazon and Microsoft uh, product managers. And, you know, and so really thinking, yep, they've taken a strategy course, but how am I in, you know, pretty explicit that, yeah, we're going to study some of this in context of startups. How can you take these tools in? And you know, you know, and, and a lot of these companies are really good at doing this. Um, let me start with some quick reflections, and then I, I love the question too about some some areas of intersection. Um, one, I appreciate what everyone's saying about you know the distinction between young firms and established firms and the questions they face. And I think everyone really brought that up nicely. And you know, Scott, thank you so much for the framework you've developed. Um, that's been fantastic in the classroom. So, so thank you there. Um, and I think highlight, and I appreciate what everyone brought up there about, hey, there, there are some key differences here about how do we think about the challenges that they face in terms of degrees of flexibility they face, the role of passion. Um, I think it's also important to highlight before the firms even exist. And, you know, what, you know Amanda, Dean, Peter, what you were bringing up, all, all those key questions that often are so many antecedents for what we're interested in strategy. Um, so I think just recognizing those distinctions, I think at the same time, I'll also note, I'm seeing an increasing, um, in my own take here, it seems the strategy community, um, and whether we define that as a discipline or not, but the com SDR community is really broadening to embrace a lot of these questions, um, especially to the extent that they either draw on, you know, the levels of, of firm success, growth, relevant theories, or consider some of the antecedents of that. And so I see a lot of interest in the SDR division. For those who are more junior here and sort of thinking at the career stage and to get a little meta here, I think this in turn raises some questions, and I, th I think a number of the panels brought this up, of given all those degrees of flexibility of here are different communities interested in this, and connecting to Scott's framework, where do you choose to sort of position? And I think the advice, you know, I really love to, you know, that Peter offered, you know, Dean and Amanda and others and Scott of reading broadly. Um, but then there's all these different choices of, you know, where are you sending your articles? Um, and so I think there are some choices there. And just to be thinking, it is something to consider uh, looking based on different departments sort of have different uh, taste, if you will. So something to consider. Areas of opportunity um, at the intersection, I guess two big ones I'm particularly interested in. Um, one is scaling. I think we've classically had a lot of opportunity studies of growth, but I, it, it just seems like 
it, a lot of opportunities to understand this better. And I think not only sort of the exceptional scale of the venture capitalists, but I'm really interested in what I consider sort of um, mid-scale potential or what the term my students seem to really like that I use in the classroom is the mighty middle. Ventures that are in a scale, but unlikely to ever be VC backable. And these can be life-changingly profitable for the entrepreneurs, um, but you're not necessarily building them with a bunch of venture capital. And I think that has some interesting strategic implications and entrepreneurship questions. So, but I think also a whole host of questions about how do you, you know, if we're interested in venture capital, how do you build these exceptional growth papers? Uh, I mean, sorry, these exceptional growth ventures, like what's going to lead to success? What are the challenges along the way? Um, and we have some classic theories. I mean, you go think back to Penrose, a lot of the initial framing there was around growth, but like, um, you know, continued, I think, big area of opportunity. The other big one, I think, is learning. I think we've increasingly looked at sort of the role of experimentation early on. Experimentation is a great learning path. There's a host of others. And so how do we think about what are some complementary learning mechanisms to use in nascent markets, whether you're a small firm or whether you're a big firm looking to build a new line of business? So again, thanks so much to everyone. Well, this has really been a fantastic session. I've learned a lot from the other presentations. I can't wait to get to the Q and A. Um, one, uh, you know, a, a lot of some of the discussion and some of the terrific examples that the presenters have shared about their own work. Uh, you know, a lot deals with startups, which is obviously an incredibly important phenomenon or context, not just for entrepreneurship, but for you know societal well-being. But you know, I always try to emphasize. That entrepreneurship is not is not just a context or a domain within which we apply, you know, ideas and theories from from other fields. Um, we so at my school um, we have an undergraduate entrepreneurship major, which is rapidly becoming one of the more popular majors in the school. But if you look carefully at the at the data, about half of the entrepreneurship majors are double majoring in management and entrepreneurship or finance and entrepreneurship or marketing and entrepreneurship. And if you ask them why, they say, well, I love my entrepreneurship courses, but I'm really worried about job placement, right? If I go on the market as an entrepreneurship major, employers will think, well, why should I hire you? I'll invest a couple of years in uh, you know, training you, and then you'll go off to start your own company. This of course is true at the graduate level as well. But as you all know, a very small percentage of students, both undergrads and MBAs, an important, you know, set, but not not very many will be successful founders uh, during their undergraduate or graduate education. You know, average age of a first-time founder in the U.S. is what is it, Dean? Forty, you know, mid forties. Um, so we're always trying to explain also to potential employers that what we teach in the major is a lot of stuff about how you frame and solve problems, how you rank different alternatives how you judge highly uncertain situations. And these apply in a variety of contexts, not only in uh, the context of the startup. I mean, it, maybe it's a little bit trite to distinguish between you know, entrepreneurship as a noun and entrepreneurial as an adjective. But a lot of the times I use the word entrepreneurial, I think we all do, you know, oh, uh, the, the STR division is a really entrepreneurial group within the academy because they're always coming up with awesome, incredible events like this, like these distinctiveness sessions, it doesn't mean that Maka or Michael, you know, has founded three new companies during their term, you know, on the STR board. So we need to remind ourselves constantly that there are entrepreneurial approaches to dealing with a whole, you know, set of problems. 
Um, two real quick research ideas that I think are kind of underexplored. Um, one relates to uh, understanding, you know, again, if you think of entrepreneurial as relating to uh, uh, individuals or groups having ideas, objective business plans, conceptions of the future that are highly idiosyncratic, that are tacit and difficult to communicate to other potential customers, uh, potential partners, employees, funders, and so forth, the ways in which we make, we try to codify and make explicit tacit knowledge and beliefs. That's incredibly important for founders and for startups, but important for mature organizations as well. And I'm very interested in the mechanisms by which those who possess these idiosyncratic visions can try to persuade others to embrace and adopt them. A, a second relates to what some people think is just a legal question, namely um, the nature of ownership. And a lot of my own work in sort of conceptualizing entrepreneurship relates entrepreneurship to a kind of residual decision authority. So the, the, the entrepreneur is the one who, you know, the entrepreneur can delegate certain functions to other employees or to an AI for that matter, but cannot delegate sort of the ultimate decision authority about what to delegate and what not to delegate. That's also a way, a useful way of conceptualizing ownership especially in this sort of Oliver Hart or even Oliver Williamson uh, understanding. And I think um, how ownership is manifest in the economy, how competition can be understood as a process of matching ownership ability or ownership competence, as we called it in a recent SMJ paper, and actual ownership titles, the allocation of ownership titles in the economy provides a lot of insight into thinking about uh, the nature of competition, the nature of the venture funding process, uh, the nature of alliances, acquisitions, and so forth. So more theorizing both by entrepreneurship and strategy scholars and more empirical work on what ownership means and why ownership matters, I think is also an underexplored research opportunity. Thanks. Thank you very much, Peter. As we'll hear from the other panel, I also want to be mindful of time. This would be, I guess, the very first uh, STR panel in the last three years that we may have to go a few minutes over time so I look forward to hearing uh, your thoughts, Amanda, Dean, and Scott. And we already have two questions in the chat. If you're reading it, perhaps a reflection on those, I would appreciate that too. Okay, I'm gonna try to be quick given our time constraints um, and maybe focus on just kind of um, two areas that I think are opportunities where we need more research. Um, and this, this kind of resonates or reacts to some of what um, both Peter and Scott and um, and Dean were saying earlier um, in different ways. So first one of these, I think I am really interested in more work on kind of how is it that entrepreneur, entrepreneurship has come to have such cultural value? How is it that, like um, Peter was saying, right, you have this undergrad entrepreneurship major, um, and yet at the same time, we kind of know from the data that becoming an entrepreneur ultimately probably, uh, you know, it, it does not necessarily have the best uh, average outcome for for our students. And so I, I, I think kind of these, this broader question of how did entrepreneurship come to be kind of valorized is very interesting. Um, the other question I was thinking about was related to um, Scott's presentation and um, specifically about this 
question of, you know, what specifically is entrepreneurial strategy and it being about choice and the value of, of experimentation. Um, and I teach a little bit about that in, in my classes. It's one of my favorite thing, favorite topics, because it is kind of a, I feel like it's kind of a, a researcher topic, uh, teaching about experimentation. And I, I think there's opportunities there to really dig into, you know, these frameworks that we teach our students around your experimentation how do they get applied differently in established firms versus uh, newly founded firms? And how should they get applied differently in those different spaces? Because um, I think I, the way I teach it is kind of as a, a very blanket way, way of experimentation. And so thinking about that um, it is interesting to me. Um, other than that, I just I want to echo Dean's point as well about publishing in this space. And just to say, I do think kind of starting with the phenomenon is a way to draw people in um, and then move to um, move to theory. And I think that's a way that, you know, we can come get around some of the challenges of trying to speak to, to potentially two different audiences. All right. So I'll stop there and let other people jump in. Thanks, Amanda. I'll, I'll try and be quick. Uh, also, I just want to take one point from each of the uh, each of the other panelists. I think Ben uh, very quickly mentioned something about being an edge concept or an edge concept uh, uh, context. And I, I try and think about that myself. Trying to think of entrepreneurship is in many ways kind of extreme. And if we take like the extreme elements of entrepreneurship, I think it allows us to push the boundaries of existing theories. So. I mean, Eisenhart used to talk about the edge of chaos, and that was um, uh, that was the entrepreneurs. But in some ways, I think as scholars, we can also work on the edge of chaos by looking at entrepreneurs, which can push our boundaries of existing theories. Um, Peter, I agree with nearly everything. I agree with everything Peter said. I, I particularly like the part where he said, uh, "You don't need, as a young scholar, you don't need to engage in the debates. These kind of philosophical debates. Peter finds them fun. I don't particularly find them fun." but we agree that uh, young scholars probably shouldn't do them. Um, I agree with Amanda that, you know, when we talk about uh, entrepreneurship and strategy, I don't think there's a problem here. You know, I think other people in the past have thought about strategy trying to take over entrepreneurship or we're fighting over turf and things like that. But I really don't find that there uh, is a problem here. And I also agree with her point about, you know, um, the chance to look at societal impact uh, as well. And Scott, you know, Scott talked about some of these distinctions and really kind of classifies those main elements to entrepreneurship, I think, uh, relating to uncertainty, which is where the opportunity is shrouded in uncertainty. And the one thing I hadn't mentioned in my speech, in my talk was the notion of agency. You know, I think um, obviously in strategic management, top management have some agency, but they're constrained by um, structures and, and, and different boards and things like that, where entrepreneurship is kind of more, has greater agency. And that as we start talking about individuals, we start bringing up the notions of passion, which Scott mentioned, but also I think importantly, people who don't fit within the established organizations, whether they're discriminated for different reasons or they have other kind of cognitive or social problems, Entrepreneurship often uh, represents an avenue for them that they can't necessarily achieve uh, through established organizations. Great, great. Um, Odino, great. Um, so I, I see we're, we're basically at, at time, and I, I know Marco is like, we'll take a few extra minutes, but I'll, I'll be sensitive to that. So I'm going to just make 
two points that I think build on this discussion. First, I want to thank the other uh, panelists and Michael and, and, and Mark for, for organizing all of this. Um, really, really stimulating. The first part I would make is, to me, Lucard, the nice thing about entrepreneurship as a research setting is that while all successful firms are different in different ways, you know, by the time you get to Disney versus, you know, like let's compare Disney versus Amazon, well, that's a lot there. There's a very nice part of entrepreneurs is that there's a lot of them and that the choices that they face and the challenges they face are in some sense, well, there's differences in that, you know, as Ben talked about, kind of that ambition level, you know, this is a $10 million, you know, million dollar, $10 million, $100 million, billion dollar The idea that you have to find a customer and require behavioral change from consumers and build a team around that to deliver value, I think is central to any venture. And so I think, I think interestingly, while strategy has always had, I think, more of a unified structure than entrepreneurship. I think separately entrepreneurship in some sense crystallizes a much more kind of a more unitary phenomenon. The, 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 a complex phenomenon, but, but, but it's more apples to apples. The second point, and I think just builds on that, and I just I think it's really important, is I think that where the strategy field has increasingly taken on, and I think particularly at the academy, the role of thinking about some of the broader impact of large corporations. My sense is, and you know, I know Dean has thought about this much harder than I have, but I think, and Amanda kind of already hinted at it, my sense is, is that an important research field going forward is what is the broader societal impact of entrepreneurship at large. And then the final part, and I am here just echoing Dean, is I think taking very seriously the complex, the complexity of the fact that entrepreneurs are those agents in the economy with the maximal level of individual agency. They don't have the most power, but they have the most choice. And I think kind of that one fact, I think is something that will be worthwhile um, investigating going forward. Thank you very much, Scott. Thank you very much, everyone. I know we have three questions in the chat. Looks like uh, Amanda already addressed Andrew's question. And I think we've already covered Satish's question with respect to the direction of the field, with respect to our students, entrepreneurs, what our society demands of us. We're already there. And I think uh, we're good. Perhaps if uh, for Julia's question, I'm going to collect that and then share back, uh, circle back after the event. Again, I would like to thank all of you for sharing your thoughtful perspectives. Uh, when Mike and, and I were putting the session together, we have thought about diversity of perspectives. How is it that we have each learned from different panelists and how is it that we can enhance that learning, perhaps uh, uh, better diffuse that knowledge? It did not occur to us that we're going to have four panelists from the West Coast region and not to say three panelists from Stanford. And I think that was one of the beauty, uh, beautiful aspects of this session and the discussion that we have had. 
So thank you all again. We'll have the recorded video of the session on our YouTube channel. And I encourage and invite everyone who wants to revisit the discussion to check it out.